Chapter Five of Sherman's Recollections of California, eighteen forty six, eighteen forty eight, eighteen fifty five, eighteen fifty seven, from his memoirs by William Tecumseh Sherman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five, California, eighteen fifty five, eighteen fifty seven, Part Two. King died about Friday, May twentieth, and the funeral was appointed for the next Sunday early on that day the governor sent for me at my house i found him on the roof of the international from which we looked down on the whole city and more especially the face of telegraph hill which was already covered with a crowd of people while others were moving toward the jail on broadway parties of armed men in good order were marching by platoons in the same direction and formed in line along broadway facing the jail door soon a small party was seen to advance to this door and knock a parley ensued the doors were opened and casey was let out in a few minutes another prisoner was brought out who proved to be cora a man who had once been tried for killing richardson the united states marshal when the jury disagreed and he was awaiting a new trial these prisoners were placed in carriages and escorted by the armed force down to the rooms of the vigilance committee through the principal streets of the city the day was exceedingly beautiful and the whole proceeding was orderly in the extreme i was under the impression that casey and cora were hanged that same sunday but was probably in error but in a very few days they were hanged by the neck dead suspended from beams projecting from the windows of the committee's rooms without another trial that could be given in secret and by night we all thought the matter had ended there and accordingly the governor returned to sacramento in disgust and i went about my business but it soon became manifest that the vigilance committee had no intention to surrender the power thus usurped they took a building on clay street near front fortified it employed guards and armed sentinels sat in midnight council issued writs of arrest and banishment and utterly ignored all authority but their own a good many men were banished and forced to leave the country but they were of that class we could well spare yankee sullivan a prisoner in their custody committed suicide and a feeling of general insecurity pervaded the city business was deranged and the bulletin then under control of tom king a brother of james poured out its abuse on some of our best men as well as the worst governor johnson being again appealed to concluded to go to work regularly and telegraphed me about the first of june to meet him at general wool's headquarters at benicia that night i went up and we met at the hotel where general wool was boarding johnson had with him his secretary of state we discussed the state of the country generally and i had agreed that if wool would give us arms and ammunition out of the united states arsenal at benicia and if commodore farragut of the navy commanding the navy yard on mare island would give us a ship i would call out volunteers and when a sufficient number had responded i would have the arms come down from benicia in the ship arm my men take possession of a thirty-two-pound gun battery at the marine hospital on rincon point thence command a dispersion of the unlawfully armed force of the vigilance committee and arrest some of the leaders 
we played cards that night carrying on a conversation in which wool insisted on a proclamation commanding the vigilance committee to disperse etc and he told us how he had on some occasion as far back as eighteen fourteen suppressed a mutiny on the northern frontier i did not understand him to make any distinct promise of assistance that night but he invited us to accompany him on an inspection of the arsenal the next day which we did on handling some rifled muskets in the arsenal storehouse he asked me how they would answer our purpose i said they were the very things and that we did not want cartridge boxes or belts but that i would have the cartridges carried in the breeches pockets and the caps in the vest pockets i knew that there were stored in that arsenal four thousand muskets for i recognized the boxes which we had carried out in the lexington around cape horn in eighteen forty six afterward we all met at the quarters of captain d r jones of the army and i saw the secretary of state d f douglas esq walk out with general wool in earnest conversation and this secretary of state afterward asserted that wool there and then promised us the arms and ammunition provided the governor would make his proclamation for the committee to disperse and that i should afterwards call out the militia etc on the way back to the hotel in benicia general wool captain collander of the arsenal and i were walking side by side and i was telling him general wool that i would also need some ammunition for the thirty-two pound guns then in position at rincon point when wool turned to collander and inquired did i not order those guns to be brought away collander said yes general i made a requisition on the quartermaster for transportation but his schooner had been so busy that the guns are still there then said wool let them remain we will have use for them i therefrom inferred of course that it was all agreed to so far as he was concerned soon after we had reached the hotel we ordered a buggy and governor johnson and i drove to vallejo six miles crossed over to mare island and walked up to the commandant's house where we found commodore farragut and his family we stated our business fairly but the commodore answered very frankly that he had no authority without orders from his department to take any part in civil broils he doubted the wisdom of the attempt said he had no ship available except the john adams captain botwell and that she needed repairs but he assented at last to the proposition to let the sloop john adams drop down abreast of the city after certain repairs to lie off there for moral effect which afterward actually occurred we then returned to benicia and wool's first question was what luck we answered not much and explained what commodore farragut could and would do and that instead of having a naval vessel we would seize and use one of the pacific mail company steamers lying at their dock in benicia to carry down to san francisco the arms and munitions when the time came as the time was then near at hand for the arrival of the evening boats we all walked down to the wharf together where i told johnson that he could not be too careful that i had not heard general wool make a positive promise of assistance upon this johnson called general wool to one side and we three drew together johnson said general wool general sherman is very particular and wants to know exactly what you propose to do wool answered 
i understand governor that in the first place a writ of habeas corpus will be issued commanding the jailers of the vigilance committee to produce the body of some one of the prisoners held by them which of course will be refused that you then issue your proclamation commanding them to disperse and failing this you will call out the militia and command general sherman with it to suppress the vigilance committee as an unlawful body to which the governor responded yes then said wool on general sherman's making his requisition approved by you i will order the issue of the necessary arms and ammunition i remember well that i said emphatically that is all i want now governor you may go ahead we soon parted johnson and douglas taking the boat to sacramento and i to san francisco the chief justice terry came to san francisco the next day issued a writ of habeas corpus for the body of one maloney which writ was resisted as we expected the governor then issued his proclamation and i published my orders dated june four eighteen fifty five the quartermaster-general of the state general kibb also came to san francisco took an office in the city hall engaged several rooms for armories and soon the men began to enroll into companies in my general orders calling out the militia i used the expression when a sufficient number of men are enrolled arms and ammunition will be supplied some of the best men of the vigilantes came to me and remonstrated saying that collision would surely result that it would be terrible etc all i could say in reply was that it was for them to get out of the way remove your fort cease your midnight councils and prevent your armed bodies from patrolling the streets they inquired where i was to get arms and i answered that i had them certain but personally i went right along with my business at the bank conscious that at any moment we might have trouble another committee of citizens a conciliatory body was formed to prevent collision if possible and the newspapers boiled over with vehement vituperation this second committee was composed of such men as crockett ritchie thornton bailey payton foote donahue kelly and others a class of the most intelligent and wealthy men of the city who earnestly and honestly desired to prevent bloodshed they also came to me and i told them that our men were enrolling very fast and that when i deemed the right moment had come the vigilance committee must disperse else bloodshed and destruction of property would inevitably follow they also had discovered that the better men of the vigilance committee itself were getting tired of the business and thought that in the execution of casey and cora and the banishment of a dozen or more rowdies they had done enough and were then willing to stop it was suggested that if our law and order party would not arm by a certain day near at hand the committee would disperse and some of their leaders would submit to an indictment and trial by a jury of citizens which they knew would acquit them of crime one day in the bank a man called me to the counter and said if you expect to get arms of general wool you will be mistaken for i was at benicia yesterday and heard him say he would not give them this person was known to me to be a man of truth and i immediately wrote to general wool a letter telling him what i had heard and how any hesitation on his part would compromise me as a man of truth and honour 
adding that i did not believe we should ever need the arms but only the promise of them for the committee was letting down and would soon disperse and submit to the law etc i further asked him to answer me categorically that very night by the stockton boat which would pass benicia on its way down about midnight and i would sit up and wait for his answer i did wait for his letter but it did not come and the next day i got a telegraphic dispatch from governor johnson who at sacramento had also heard of general wool's back down asking me to meet him again at benicia that night i went up in the evening boat and found general wool's aide-de-camp captain arnold of the army on the wharf with a letter in his hand which he said was for me i asked for it but he said he knew its importance and preferred we should go to general wool's room together and the general could hand it to me in person we did go right up to general wool's who took the sealed parcel and laid it aside saying that it was literally a copy of one he had sent to governor johnson who would doubtless give me a copy but i insisted that i had made a written communication and was entitled to a written answer at that moment several gentlemen of the conciliation party who had come up in the same steamer with me asked for admission and came in i recall the names of crockett foote bailey peyton judge thornton donahue etc and the conversation became general wool trying to explain away the effect of our misunderstanding taking good pains not to deny his promise made to me personally on the wharf i renewed my application for the letter addressed to me then lying on his table on my statement of the case bailey peyton said general wool i think general sherman has a right to a written answer from you for he is surely compromised upon this wool handed me the letter i opened and read it and it denied any promise of arms but otherwise was extremely evasive and non-committal i had heard of the arrival at the wharf of the governor and party and was expecting them at wool's room but instead of stopping at the hotel where we were they passed to another hotel on the block above i went up and found there in a room on the second floor over the bar-room governor johnson chief justice terry jones of palmer cook and company e d baker volney e howard and one or two others all were talking furiously against wool denouncing him as a damned liar and not sparing the severest terms i showed the governor-general wool's letter to me which he said was in effect the same as the one addressed to and received by him at sacramento he was so offended that he would not even call on general wool and said he would never again recognize him as an officer or gentleman we discussed matters generally and judge terry said that the vigilance committee were a set of damned pork merchants that they were getting scared and that general wool was in collusion with them to bring the state into contempt etc i explained that there were no arms in the state except what general wool had or what were in the hands of the vigilance committee of san francisco and that the part of wisdom for us was to be patient and cautious about that time crockett and his associates sent up their cards but terry and the more violent of the governor's followers denounced them as no better than vigilantes and wanted the governor to refuse even to receive them i explained that they were not vigilantes that judge thornton was a law-and-order man was one of the first to respond to the call of the sheriff 
and that he went actually to the jail with his one arm the night we expected the first attempt at rescue etc johnson then sent word for them to reduce their business to writing they simply sent in a written request for an audience and they were then promptly admitted after some general conversation the governor said that he was prepared to hear them when mr crockett rose and made a prepared speech embracing a clear and fair statement of the condition of things in san francisco concluding with the assertion of the willingness of the committee to disband and submit to trial after a certain date not very remote all the time crockett was speaking terry sat with his hat on drawn over his eyes and with his feet on a table as soon as crockett was through they were dismissed and johnson began to prepare a written answer this was scratched altered and amended to suit the notions of his counsellors and at last was copied and sent this answer amounted to little or nothing seeing that we were powerless for good and that violent counsels would prevail under the influence of terry and others i sat down at the table and wrote my resignation which johnson accepted in a complimentary note on the spot and at the same time he appointed to my place general volney e howard then present a lawyer who had once been a member of congress from texas and who was expected to drive the damned pork merchants into the bay at short notice i went soon after to general wool's room where i found crockett and the rest of his party told them that i was out of the fight having resigned my commission that i had neglected business that had been entrusted to me by my st louis partners and that i would thenceforward mind my own business and leave public affairs severely alone we all returned to san francisco that night by the stockton boat and i never afterward had anything to do with politics in california perfectly satisfied with that short experience johnson and wool fought out their quarrel of veracity in the newspapers and on paper but in my opinion there is not a shadow of doubt that general wool did deliberately deceive us that he had authority to issue arms and that had he adhered to his promise we could have checked the committee before it became a fixed institution and a part of the common law of california major-general volney e howard came to san francisco soon after continued the organization of militia which i had begun succeeded in getting a few arms from the country but one day the vigilance committee sallied from their armories captured the arms of the law and order party put some of their men into prison while general howard with others escaped to the country after which the vigilance committee had it all their own way subsequently in july eighteen fifty six they arrested chief justice terry and tried him for stabbing one of their constables but he managed to escape at night and took refuge on the john adams in august they hanged hetherington and brace in broad daylight without any jury trial and soon after they quietly disbanded as they controlled the press they wrote their own history and the world generally gives them the credit of having purged san francisco of rowdies and roughs but their success has given great stimulus to a dangerous principle that would at any time justify the mob in seizing all the power of government and who is to say that the vigilance committee may not be composed of the worst instead of the best elements of a community 
indeed in san francisco as soon as it was demonstrated that the real power had passed from the city hall to the committee room the same set of bailiffs constables and rowdies that had infested the city hall were found in the employment of the vigilantes and after three months experience the better class of people became tired of the midnight sessions and left the business and power of the committee in the hands of a court of which a sydney man was reported to be the head or chief justice during the winter of eighteen fifty five fifty six and indeed throughout the year eighteen fifty six all kinds of business became unsettled in california the mines continued to yield about fifty millions of gold a year but little attention was paid to agriculture or to any business other than that of mining and as the placer gold was becoming worked out the miners were restless and uneasy and were shifting about from place to place impelled by rumors put afloat for speculative purposes a great many extensive enterprises by joint stock companies had been begun in the way of water ditches to bring water from the head of the mountain streams down to the richer alluvial deposits and nearly all of these companies became embarrassed or bankrupt foreign capital also which had been attracted to california by reason of the high rates of interest was being withdrawn or was tied up in property which could not be sold and although our banks having withstood the panic gave us great credit still the community itself was shaken and loans of money were risky in the extreme a great many merchants of the highest name availed themselves of the extremely liberal bankrupt law to get discharged of their old debts without sacrificing much if any of their stocks of goods on hand except a lawyer's fee thus realizing martin burke's saying that many a clever fellow had been ruined by paying his debts the merchants and business men of san francisco did not intend to be ruined by such a course i raised the rate of exchange from three to three and a half while others kept on at the old rate and i labored hard to collect old debts and strove in making new loans to be on the safe side the state and city both denied much of their public debt in fact repudiated it and real estate which the year before had been first-class security became utterly unsaleable the office labor and confinement and the anxiety attending the business aggravated my asthma to such an extent that at times it deprived me of sleep and threatened to become chronic and serious and i was also conscious that the first and original cause which had induced mr lucas to establish the bank in california had ceased i so reported to him and that i really believed that he could use his money more safely and to better advantage in st louis this met his prompt approval and he instructed me gradually to draw out preparatory to a removal to new york city accordingly early in april eighteen fifty seven i published an advertisement in the san francisco papers notifying our customers that on the first day of may we would discontinue business and remove east requiring all to withdraw their accounts and declaring that if any remained on that day of may their balances would be transferred to the banking house of periton company punctually to the day this was done and the business of lucas turner and company of san francisco was discontinued 
except the more difficult and disagreeable part of collecting their own monies and selling the real estate to which the firm had succeeded by purchase or foreclosure one of the partners b r nisbet assisted by our attorney s m bowman esq remained behind to close up the business of the bank End of chapter five part two End of Sherman's Recollections of California eighteen forty six eighteen forty eight eighteen fifty five eighteen fifty seven from his memoirs by William Tecumseh Sherman